It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and minds this evening as we consider how we might rejoice in the freedom and liberty that you give to us as members of your church. Lord, I decrease now so that you may increase. I pray that you, Lord, be glorified in the lives of your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, again, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, we are continuing to walk through our short series, What is the Church? What is the Church? In our last sermon in this series, uh, What is the Church? We considered the structure and authority in the local church. The structure and authority in the local church. We looked primarily, go ahead and play with it. We looked primarily at Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 18, where the Lord Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to the church, the church which, which consists of officers and members. Officers is going to be elders and deacons. The officers of the church have been given authority by Christ, and the members have been given authority by Christ. These two do not work against one another, but they actually work with one another in order to carry out all that Christ has commanded for his church to do and all that Christ has commanded his church to be. We learned that the officers of the church have been given authority by Christ to order the regular worship of the church. The elders have been charged with making sure that the things that we do when we gather, things like prayer, the reading of the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word, the Lord's Supper, baptism. Elders have been charged to order the worship of the church to make sure that all of those things are done in the way that Christ has commanded for His church to do them. Sometimes that kind of order, it may seem as to be, uh, it may appear to be domineering or it may appear to be uh, even controlling. That's not the case. That is incorrect. Uh, Insofar as the officers of the church are doing things in accordance with God's word, as long as they are doing things exactly as they have been charged to do them, then they've been given authority to make sure those things are carried out in that manner. The officers have been charged and given authority to rule in the church. And that is, the officers have been charged with overseeing the sheep. Christ has given them authority and charged them to do so. They are to oversee the spiritual life of the church and the practical life of the church. Both of these two are not mutually exclusive. Uh, One affects the other. So when we preach a spiritual sermon to you, there are always going to be practical implications from that spiritual sermon. The officers of the church are not police officers. Nice pause there, right? We are not police officers. We are servants. Servants who have been given authority to serve. They are those who are seeking how they might better shepherd you toward Christ and help you to grow in Christ. They are not your uh, 
They're not your POs or your, they're not narcs or anything else that you might think of. They're servants. They have been given authority as ministers to your souls. And we should thank the Lord for that. We should praise the Lord for that. Not see them as our enemies or our opponents, but as those who have been called to shepherd us and to do so uh, with with humble and sincere hearts. They, we, are to teach only what Christ has given us, authority to teach in his word. Uh, we are not to ever say, do this because I said I, because I said to do it. I can remember in our old church, uh, I was standing next to an individual and the pastor stood up and said to him, run. And the person said, why? And the pastor said, because I'm your pastor, run. And he said, nah, I'm good. Uh, he was right. He did not have to run because the pastor told him to run. Elders are not magistrates. They are ministers. We also learned last week that the authority that the elders have uh, does not come from the church. It is consented by the church, but it is first from Christ. And the church recognizes that upon a particular officer. So the authority comes from Christ. The congregation recognizes that authority and they give their consent toward that person taking that office. The member does not have authority, uh, does not have the authority of the officer. The member does not have the authority of the officer. And the officer does not have the authority of the member. But the two of them work together. They both have keys, as we talked about last week. They both have keys, and they must be turned together in order for the church to function in the way that Christ has called them to function. We've learned that uh, what the what the key the officer possesses, we, we learned what, what key they have, and we also we've also learned what key the members have as well. In studying about studying this topic, I learned that I've already dealt with what key the members have. We've already discussed that the members do hold a particular authority. Members have authority to receive. Here, here it is. Members have authority to receive and affirm new members. That is your authority. That's the key that has been given to you. They, you, have been given authority to bind and loose. You've been given authority to bind and loose. Now, that not bind and loose money, not bind and loose healing. You've been called and given authority to bind and loose or affirm and deny believers. Members have been charged with the authority and the responsibility to affirm one's confession as a true confession or a false confession based upon that confession and based upon that confession open wide the kingdom of heaven to that new member or shut the door close to that non-believer. Does that make sense? The binding and loosing is opening and closing. If a person is making a positive, true confession, the church has been given responsibility to say, yes, that is a true confession. That is the true gospel. You are welcome. We affirm your confession and you as a true believer. But if someone comes with a false confession, If someone says something that is contrary to what the Bible teaches, we close the door and say, no, that is not a true confession. We do not recognize you as a believer. Members have been given authority to consent new members. They've also been uh, given the authority to consent and elect new officers, elders and deacons. It is your responsibility, the church, to consent to new officers that they may be recommended. They may be recommended by the elders or even recommended by the members, but ultimately the members are the ones who have the final say on whether or not they will elect or consent that new officer. 
The church has been charged to examine that man for that office to see whether or not they are a worthy candidate. And if so, they're called to consent to that person taking that office in the local church. That's your responsibility. That is your authority. Uh, As I've said before, the elders cannot say to the members, members, here is your new member. The elders cannot say to the members also, uh, members, here is your new, your new elder or here is your new deacon. It is your responsibility to consent and elect new officers and new members. The church has also been given, finally, the authority to participate and make final judgments in matters concerning church discipline. When a matter of church discipline arises, the church is the final word in terms of discipline and restoration. The church is the final word in terms of discipline and restoration. The church has been charged to once again bind and loose, bind and loose to open the door of the kingdom or to close the door of the kingdom in church matters or in matters of church discipline. Uh, We will actually do a sermon on church discipline in the coming weeks. But listen, church discipline in is a practice and let, let just be honest here that most of us are very uncomfortable with church discipline is a practice that most of us if we're honest we're not used to it and when it happens it makes us very uncomfortable you mean i i have been given the authority to say that someone is not a believer i just don't like that well why don't you like that i don't feel i have the right to say that someone is saved or not saved Jesus said that you do. Jesus said that you have the authority to bind and loose. You mean I get to say that 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 person is or is not a believer? Yes, but based upon what? Based upon what are you making that final judgment? Based upon that person's confession and denial of that confession. If that person is living contrary to that confession, it is your right, your responsibility. You've been given authority to either Open the doors of the kingdom and say, yes, you are a believer. We want to restore you. You are a true believer. Or to say, no, you are not. And you are living contrary to your confession. You are bringing smudge upon the church. We must at all costs protect the purity of the church. The authority, uh, this authority has been given to the church. Affirm new members. Elect and consent to new officers. And make final judgment in matters of church discipline and restoration. With all this talk, then, of authority, we might be tempted to ask, where's the freedom? Seems like a lot of structure. Seems like a lot of rules and regulations. And I think that might be one of the things that turns people off to the local church, at least churches like ours. Let me reiterate, this is the way that Christ has structured the church. This is not the way man has structured the church. church. It's the structure of Christ, not the structure of men. I've heard many say that they stay away from organized religion because of its rigid structure. We must say, yes, there are some churches that where things have been made law, where Christ has not made any command. But we must not deny the fact that there is structure in the local church. If we deny any kind of structure, then we deny the very things that Christ has commanded for his church. There are those who also say they avoid the church because of the politics in the church that take place among officers and members. Uh, Officers want one thing, members want another thing, creates a power struggle, which results in division over the color of the carpet. Imagine these power structures over silly things. 
I agree. That can sometimes be off-putting. So then, in light of all of the authority that we've been speaking about, this evening I'd like to focus on freedom. Our liberties. How can we avoid some of the pitfalls of being a church that makes law where Christ has made no law? How can we avoid the politics that sadly arise in the local church? With God's help this evening, we shall consider... Hold on to your seats. Seven points, short points, of freedom that Christ has given to the church. Seven points of freedom that Christ has given to the local church. Lord willing, this will be a great encouragement for how we as officers and members uh, might see each other as not two churches, but one that function together for the glory of God. Number one, let us begin. We are free from condemnation. We are free from condemnation. Reading our um, foundational verse that we read this evening, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Galatia that was being persecuted by Judaizers. They were a group of professing believers who denied their profession of faith because they taught that in order for the work of Christ to be effective, that one must submit to the law of Moses and all of his regulations. And if they did not do so, then Christ would be of no benefit to you. There was a kind of mixing of faith in Christ and absolute obedience and submission to the law of Moses. Those believers in Galatia, they were not Jews, they were Gentiles. And so therefore, all of the things that they were being, that were being imposed upon them were completely brand new to them. They were almost adding two religions to uh, their faith in Christ. And their conscience, it began to be burdened down with this regulation that was being pressured upon them by these false teachers. They were saying, if you do not submit to the law of Moses, you're not saved. No matter what kind of faith you have in Christ. Pay attention to that statement. This is why Paul says to them, to the church, if you are circumcised, then Christ is of no benefit to you. You see what he does? He flips that argument, their argument on their head. Their false, the false teachers, he flips their argument that if you are not subjected to the law then Christ is of no benefit to you. And Paul says, if you are subjected to the law, then Christ is of no no benefit to you. It's actually the other way around. You who are in Christ, you are free from condemnation. Because we are created in God's image. We have been created with a faculty that distinguishes and discerns between right and wrong, between good and evil. That faculty is called our conscience. In our conscience, we know what is right and we know what is wrong. We know when we have sinned against God, whether it it pierces us to repent, and when we have done good. Now, our conscience does not infallibly discern what is right. And our conscience does not infallibly discern what is wrong. Why? Because we are corrupted people. We are corrupted by sin. Therefore, we must be aware of deceiving ourselves into thinking that what we are actually doing is good when it is wrong. We will speak more about this in in the next few points. But we have a faculty of discernment between right and wrong. 
This means that we've been created with an awareness of when we sin against God and when we obey Him properly. What happens to your conscience when you disobey the law of God? Your conscience tells you you've sinned. Again, not perfectly, not infallibly, but it does tell you that you have sinned against God, that we have done evil in the sight of God, but also our conscience is is condemned because we know that we are deserving of God's punishment. Not just that we've sinned, but that we deserve punishment for our sins. We know that we have sinned against God. Now, in saying that, dear brothers and sisters, what has Christ done for all of those who trust in Him? What has Christ done for all of those who trust in Him? What is the benefit for all of those who trust in His death and resurrection? Here's the benefit. The benefit is He has freed us, those who trust in Him, from that condemnation. He's freed our consciences from the condemnation that we feel and that we experience when we sin against God. We're free. He's promised that those who trust in Him will have salvation from their sins. That all of our wickedness is washed away in the blood of Christ. We are free from condemnation. Christ was condemned in our place. It was though as if He sinned in our place. Jesus, though through His death and through His resurrection, reconciled us to God. To God. And He won for us the forgiveness of our sins. And He has given to us life everlasting. He's taken our sin and our shame. And He has given to us His righteousness and His perfection. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In Christ, our conscience is free. In Christ, our conscience is free. Listen, do you sin? Yes. And when you do, you are forgiven. You are no longer burdened by the guilt of your of your sin, by the shame of your sin, or also by the consequence of your sin, because Christ has bore all of those things in our place. We're free. First uh, John three nineteen to twenty one. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever condemns our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. There are going to be times when we sin, when we fail and and we uh, do not obey the command of God. And John says, when we do, you have peace because God knows all things. When we fail, we can have confidence and assurance. And John says, uh, and we may ask John, how do we have confidence? How do we have assurance? Because God knows all things. What do you mean God knows all things? What does he know? That his son is at his right hand. That, that his son has risen from the dead. That he died and he rose again. That his son died for us. That, that we've trusted in him truly. There is no question that we've been freed from condemnation. There is no question that our hearts, that in our hearts, that we have been forgiven of those things. God knows this. And we have assurance that even when our heart doesn't know it, that God is greater than our hearts. That God is greater than our hearts. Even when we say, but I'm not sure. But if you've placed your faith in God, God is sure. God is sure. The heart 
might forget that there is no condemnation. But God does not forget that there is no condemnation. And our consciences are free, free from condemnation. Uh, The 21st chapter of our confession has a great encouragement for Christian and their conscience and liberty. But moving on. With that said, since Christ, since in Christ we are free from condemnation, what are the things that affect this freedom that we have in our conscience? Number two, Christ has therefore freed us from the commands of men. Christ has therefore freed us from the commands of men. What does this mean? It means that the Lord Jesus Christ has freed us from, listen, any religious command that man would attempt to oppose on, impose on us. This is sprouting from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, uh, through 2, and really all of the book of Galatians. We are free from any religious command that man may attempt to impose upon us. We have learned <clears throat> that we've been given a conscience that discerns right between right and wrong. We must do that which is right. We must not do that which is wrong. And our conscience especially as a believer, tells us when, when, when we've sinned. Again, not perfectly, but we are created in God's image. When we have been given a new heart, a new spirit, then uh, and God's word, the word of God even more so tells us when we have sinned against God. So then, if one comes to you and seeks to impose certain commands for your religious life, you must discern whether or not you should accept or reject those commands. You should ask yourself, am I bound or obligated to obey what is being commanded to me in my religious life? We'll talk more about this even more so in our next point. We are obligated to obey who? Christ. He's freed us from all the commands of men. He's freed us from all the commands that go against, contradict, or go beyond God's word. You hear that? He's freed us from all commands that contradict, go against, or go beyond God's word. We must be clear that we're speaking in a religious context, right? Not the civic sphere uh, or uh, the civil magistrate that is over us. When the government tells you pay your taxes, pay your taxes or you will be in trouble, right? Uh, If the speed limit says it's 45, you don't get to say, listen, uh, Mr. Police Officer, I don't see 45 in the Bible, I'll go at whatever speed I want to. I'm free in Christ. I'm free from all condemnation. He's going to say, uh, get out the car, please. <laughs> Scriptures command that we are to be- obey those who are in authority, right? What must I offer to God as worship? That's the question. What must I offer to God as true worship? What has God called me to do in a religious way as worship unto him? What am I obligated to do in the church according to God's word? Uh, What was the yoke of slavery that was pressuring the Galatians? What was that yoke? It was the Judaizers who said you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to experience the full benefits of Christ. The pressure was the laws of men, not the law of God. These false teachers did not deny Christ. But where they failed was when they wanted to add on to laws or add laws in the name of Christ. Paul tells the church that they've been freed from those obligations and that their conscience need not be burdened down 
with any conflict over whether or not they should obey those commands from men. They need not be burdened down in their conscience. We'll get to more of this in the next point. There's a balance to this, and hopefully you'll be able to see it. Uh, Colossians 2.20. If you died with Christ <clears throat> to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, listen to that, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments of, and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Similar context to what was taking place in Galatians. Uh, In Colossians, they were adding laws to the worship of God. If you really love God, you are not allowed to eat pork. If you really love God, you are not allowed to, to drink any alcohol in any In any measure, if you really love God, you are not allowed to go here to see this, to touch that. Paul says none of those things are true. None of those things are true. Paul said they have no religious power, no religious value, and they had no obligation upon their conscience. Don't let those things burden you down, he was saying. The conscience does not have to respond to do not handle. Eat all the pork you want. The conscience doesn't have to respond to do not taste, do not touch. You are free from any condemnation. So we find that Jesus has set us free from all commands that go beyond or violate the commands in the scriptures. Uh, We could even follow Peter's example, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 verse 19, when they are told, stop preaching in this name. And what was their response? Should we listen to God or listen to you? I think that we'll listen to God. We'll go to jail even if that's the case, but we will listen to God. We are free from the commands of men religiously. Number three, Christ has freed us to obey his commands. Uh, Christ has freed us to obey his commands. That's a good one. Christ has freed us to obey his commands. This is important because liberty... That Christ has given us, here's here's a good point, it's not absolute liberty. Hear that? There are those who would take my, my second point to the extreme and say, great, no law, no law whatsoever. I don't have any law. So when we say in the morning, uh, let's turn to the book of Moses uh, or the book of Exodus chapter 20, they might say, why are you reading that? We're not bound to that anymore. Our conscience are free from those kinds of things. There is no law. We do not have absolute freedom. Meaning, it is not a freedom that says, do whatever you want, whenever you want, and however you want it. That could easily be the conclusion when one uh, may consider that they've been freed from condemnation. That means I can do whatever I want then, right? That means I don't have to listen to you or anyone else. I can do whatever I want. Freedom. No, that's not freedom. That's rebellion. Christ has given us a space. The local church where we have absolute freedom. Listen, to do what he's commanded us to do. That may seem like an oxymoron. He's given us freedom to do exactly what he's commanded us to do. What this means is that we do not have freedom not to do these things. We have freedom to do these things, but not freedom not to do these things. We have freedom to obey. 
we do not have freedom not to obey what Christ has commanded. We've been free to obey his commands. Therefore, our conscience is bound. It is bound to obey everything that is taught where? In the scriptures. Not things that men add to the scriptures, but all that is contained within the scriptures. We are bound to it. Our, our conscience is bound to it. We are not free in our conscience to hear God's word and say, uh, I have the freedom to decide whether or not I want to obey that. It's up to me. And I, I say no, because the Bible says I'm free from all condemnation. My conscience is clear. Well, a true believer could never truly say, I don't have to listen to anything God says. Could they? Should they? No. That is not what freedom of conscience is all about. Freedom is that which Christ has freed us to do. And that which we have been given the freedom to obey. We have not given freedom or liberty to disobey. We've been given freedom and liberty to obey. When Christ calls and commands us to do certain things in the church, we must do them. And we must do them the way that Christ has commanded. If we're not doing what Christ has commanded in the way that Christ has commanded, then we are antinomians. People who have no law. People who live outside of the regulations and they therefore become their own law. And they therefore become their own God. We are bound. Our conscience is bound to God's word and to the authority of Christ. It would be an abuse of liberty to view God's word as, as, as people who can do whatever we want with it. We are not antinomians. We are not those who have no law or who feel no obligation to do anything that God has commanded. Now, this, this is a great challenge for us uh, now because we all have... The same word. Here's the challenge. The question is then, what has Christ commanded? The truth is the truth. The commands are the commands. Whether we believe them or not, our challenge is, what are they? So then our liberty of conscience does not decide what are and what are not the commands. We don't get to read something like, do not, or uh, you must, and conclude, but I don't think those are commands. I asked someone the other day, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of, their, of yourselves. Does that sound like a command? He said, no, I'm not sure. Let me ask it uh, again, and I'll say it in slow motion. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Does that sound like a command? I'm n- st- still not sure. It's clear. And we are not free to say, I don't think so. Unless we are saying, I will make up my own law and I will be a law unto myself. We don't, uh, we often want to say that things are not commands because we don't want them. Because we are corrupt. But what God says, we must obey. God's word is right. It is right for us. It is right before us as well. And each one of us must respond to the scriptures As we understand them, yes, but we must not twist the scriptures to our liking or reject the scriptures because they don't benefit our liking. Here is God's word. We must obey it. This ultimately is the the, the binder of our conscience. What binds your conscience? God's word. What I'm saying? No. God's word. What God says. And in this church over the past five or six years, we have increasingly sought 
How can we be more faithful to God's word? And as we've sought to be more faithful to God's word, the place is emptied out. Everyone must answer to this, the binder of our conscience. This is what we must do. This is what we must not do. It must be the word of God that is the basis for what we do or do not do. What we feel or should not feel. The word of God is the binder of our conscience. We are not the final authority. God's word is the final authority. And we are obligated to obey. We are not free to disobey. So then when we present clearly God's word, here is what God's word says. Here is what we must do from the scriptures. If you disagree, listen, your disagreement should be more uh, based on more than just a statement. But I just don't agree. But why? I don't know yet. I just don't agree. But the scriptures are clear. Shall I walk through them again with you? No, 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 that's okay. I'm just not comfortable with it. Of course you're not comfortable with it. It strikes against every single one of our fleshly desires. So when God's word comes and we say, I don't like that very much. Of course not. Sin is being exposed. And God is saying, let's put that to death. And we say, no, I kind of like that alive. It's my friend. Scripture must be our final authority. And if we disagree, fine. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's walk through the scriptures together lovingly, patiently. But let's do that together. Let's not simply just say, I just don't agree. Well, why not? Well, because I really love my Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, okay. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. If we cannot simply say that we are simply allowing a feeling or experience or even often a tradition to be our final authority, then we must ask ourselves, what is our final authority? Is it God's word? Or is it those things that I've just mentioned? The word of God should bind all of our consciences and each person must be convinced by the scriptures. Our conscience must be bound to God's word and what we have understood concerning God's word. Hopefully that's clear. Number four, these will be a much quicker. Uh, Church confessions and constitutions are critical in this process. That is, of what binds us. Church constitutions or church confessions and constitutions are critical in this process. I am, I'm probably like most of you. I did not grow up confessional. I didn't actually not even know what a confession was until about four or five years ago. I also did not grow up with a constitution, uh, constitution of the United States, but not a church constitution. Thankfully, I have come to praise God for both of them. Why? If a person's conscience must be bound by the scriptures, and if the pope or the magistrate, civil magistrate, cannot compel the conscience to believe certain things, then what do we as individuals agree together? And how can we, one another, become mutually accountable to the scriptures? Listen to this. At the end of our last point, we said, now this is going to be a challenge because we all have the same Bible. So how do we come to a place where we all agree on the same thing? Does that make sense? Which leads us into a confession and a constitution. Church confessions and constitutions, they resolve that dilemma of, well, how do we understand what we agree on? Through a confession of faith, a church publicly declares its beliefs. 
we understand the scriptures to teach this, and this is what it teaches in a summarized form. A confession of faith is a declaration of what we believe the scriptures to teach. It is therefore a doctrinal basis of unity in the church. We unite together in this common understanding of the word of God as expressed here in these things called the confession. Confession is simply, we believe. We agree. We believe this is what the Bible teaches. Therefore, we can hold one another accountable according to the common standard of of doctrine expressed in the confession of faith. I encourage you to read this. 32 chapters. Read the confession of faith. It's thorough. It gives a clear summary on the Bible's teaching concerning the scriptures. Listen. God and the Holy Trinity. God's decree. Creation, providence, free will, good works, the law of God, Christian liberty, Sabbath, marriage, the church, the Lord's Supper, baptism, last judgment. 32 chapters. It is very, very thorough. Go to your regular church website nowadays. You may not have grown up confessional, at least under a historic confession, but you did grow up confessional. Well, how do I know this? If you went to a normal, regular church, more often than not, there was a place in their their bylaws or a place on their on their website that says statements of faith. You know what that is? You've seen those before, where they say statements of faith, and they have this little short thing on about God, about the Bible, about salvation, about heaven, about hell, about the church. Maybe six to ten articles. That's kind of lacking, isn't it? But it's what the church says. This is what we confess to be true. So when we came to this church, some of us, and it said, a confession? We don't need no stinking confession. What's a confession for, right? Where did this come from? This is a whole new thing. Well, we've been doing it all of our lives, especially if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. You are very used to a confession. They are called canons. The canons of Dort. Not the candles of door. What's going on? Somebody shut that off. Uh, The canons. That was my. That's also my alarm. So sorry that that confused me for a second. Uh, uh, Is it the canons? What is it from the Roman Catholic Church? I'm not thinking of the canons. I'm thinking of something else. Oh, what is the name of it? I'm going to be stuck now. What is it? Oh, where's brother? What's his name? Anyways, I'm going to think about it in just a moment, and then I'll, I'll say it. Uh, Vatican. Vatican I, Vatican II. Am I correct? I don't know what I'm saying right now. Let's keep going. Now, we need to ask ourselves, does this mean that our consciences are bound by a non-inspired, non-scriptural document? Does that mean that we are binding ourselves to something that's not the Bible? Because someone may say, well, it seems like we're elevating this over the Bible. No, we are not elevating this over the Bible. The confession states that from the very beginning. The scriptures are the only true, infallible, reliable source of truth. So don't ever think that we're, this is elevating over the Bible. This is teaching us what the Bible teaches. And summarizing it in a way that we say, yes, I agree. That's what the Bible teaches. Yes, I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. So are we binding our conscience to something that is non-scriptural? Yes and no. 
Yes, we are binding ourselves to a non-inspired document because we are saying all that this teaches, we agree it is faithfully teaching what the Bible teaches. It's a faithful exposition of the Bible. So when we join the church, we listen to this freely. We say, yes, I agree. That is what the Bible teaches in summary. And so your conscience is responding to the word of God as it is as it is expressed in a human document that we believe accurately sums up the scriptures. No one is forcing you to say yes. No one is compelling your conscience. You must do this or you're going to Hades. No, it is. Do you agree? Yes. Voluntarily. Yes, I believe this. The conscience is accountable to, to it. Once you declare, yes, this is what I believe. When you join the church, uh, the confession makes it very clear what the standard of doctrinal accountability is. This is what is to be believed. This is what we teach. And you voluntarily agree to it. One of the requirements of this church is that you say, I believe the confession summarizes the teachings of the scriptures. Or at least... I understand from this vantage point that this will be what the elders are teaching in the church. And I'm okay with that. I accept that. We even have a clause in our constitution that states, if you're a member and you can no longer subscribe to the confession, you can no longer live uh, as this confession is teaching what the Bible teaches, then you must declare it. I'm no longer confessional. And do so so that we can work it out. Well, why not? What are some of your issues? What are some of the problems? Give your elders a chance to work through these things with you. Don't just say, vaya con I'm out of here. Let's work through it. In terms of the Constitution, they are critical because they form not the doctrinal basis of our unity, but the practical basis of our unity. Constitutions, they tell everyone beforehand, this is the way things are run and this is how we're going to live. This is how things are run, and this is how we're going to live. If our conscience are only to be bound by the scriptures, you need to know what will be expected of you as a member and how the church functions, governs itself. You should ask, uh, do I have a vote in receiving new members? Do I have a vote in the election of officers? Uh, If you believe the scriptures teach that you have a role To play in such things, our Constitution affirms that. That, in fact, you do have a role to play in those particular areas. This is is how we will live in church life. Uh, Your elders will be involved in your life. Members will be involved in your life. This is how we will conduct baptism. This is who will be received as members. We, We are all agreeing to that. You should consider a church Constitution carefully, especially before you join the church. Look through it, read through it, and say, yeah, I do agree. Not just doctrinally on the confession, but practically in the Constitution. We are free, brothers and sisters, from condemnation. Uh, We are free from the commands of men. We are free to obey God's word, not free to disobey God's word. We are free to agree together that the confession summarizes what the Bible teaches. And we are also free to agree that the Constitution keeps us accountable to how we will live in light of what the Bible teaches. Number five, Christ has freed us to consent in the church. We've talked about this we're going to just go just a little bit into this the officers have authority and so do the members the authority of the members has not been given to the to the officers 
and authority of the officers has not been given by the members. It's from Christ. Just as the members do not grant elders authority, it's from Christ. So members do not grant, or so do officers not grant members authority. It's from Christ. The two are designed to work together. The elders guide and govern in various uh, processes in the church, but the elders cannot enforce or bring about or bring to completion these processes themselves. The membership have the liberty of consenting. We may suggest, but we can't force you to consent. You must freely consent. In the scriptures, the congregation participates in a variety of things. Again, election of officers, church discipline, receiving and expelling of new members or members who are in church discipline. In matters, in those matters, the key of authority of the elders, it cannot turn without consent the key of authority of the members. They must work together. Again, the elders cannot inform the church we have a new member or a new officer. And neither can the members say to the elders, we have a new member and we have a new officer. There must be mutual consent between the two. If the elder proposes a candidate for membership, the members cannot decide not to consent or affirm that new member, but to say, we don't want him and we don't want that member, but here's who we will consent to and here's who we will. That's two churches working against each other or at least two authorities working against each other, and that is not the way Christ has structured his church. Just as the elders cannot force the member upon an officer, uh, wait, just as the elders cannot force a member or officer upon the church, so the members cannot force or, uh, members cannot force an officer or member upon the elders. It goes both ways. The two must work together, which is our sixth point. The keys of the kingdom turn together. The keys of the kingdom turn together. The authority of the elders is limited. They have the authority to guide and govern in that which Christ has commanded them to do and nothing beyond that. That's important. They cannot go any, any step beyond their jurisdiction. One step beyond the place that Christ has called them to go. The liberty of the members is to be guided and governed in that which the Lord Jesus has commanded them to do. They have authority But they cannot also go beyond that authority. A member cannot say, this is what we're actually teaching today. This is what will be done concerning the Lord's Supper today. You are out of your jurisdiction. You are out of line. There is a place for the members and there is a place for the officers. And we must both work together to function in the way that Christ has called this church to function. If they discern the word of God, the elders are guiding them in something you, in something that is not taught by God's word, you have liberty to consent Or to say, I do not consent to what you're teaching. The elders do not have authority to guide and govern the church in areas that have not been taught by God. Consider again a new member. The elders say, according to the criteria of what a Christian believes and does, we are recommending this person for membership. As far as we can judge, this person meets that criteria. The members must then evaluate that potential member. And if their confession is true... And if, as far as they can tell, they are living in accordance to the commands of Christ, they must consent to that new member. And they do not have the freedom not to consent to that new member. Does that make sense? 
If there is one who does not meet those requirements, then it is your liberty not to consent, not to affirm that potential new member. But if they meet all those requirements, then you must consent. The key of authority and liberty, they are working together. They concur together. This is what, this is all about the commands of Christ and nothing else. All the criteria is the command of Christ. Are we living up to that? Is this person living up to that? Is that officer living up to that? We've agreed upon common confession and common constitution. This is what we believe. This is what we will do. There are no surprises. When we are seeking to keep you accountable uh, to that which you said you would be accountable to, there should be no surprise. We've agreed to it. The key of liberty and the key of authority are designed to cooperate together and function together. Both authorities do not invalidate one another. Again, they are the result of working together. And when we do so, we will see a vital, healthy church that is uh, flowing, uh, 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 prospering in the Lord Jesus Christ. A healthy church. At the center of all this is not our feelings or our preferences. It is God's word. Uh, Your vote is based upon what the scriptures guide and lead you to understand. You have freedom to consent or not consent, but your reason must be based upon the word of God and nothing else. Our conscience must respond and be convicted by nothing else but God's word. Seventh and finally, liberty and wisdom. Liberty of circumstances and wisdom. Liberty of circumstances and wisdom. Think of law and think of wisdom. Law says this is what must be done. This is wrong and against God's word. Or this is right. And in accordance with God's word, we must obey. Wisdom says there are a variety of options. And they're all valid. They're all potential. And we can do any one of them. And doing those potential options do not uh, violate God's word. That makes sense. Here's what God says. Here are wisdom choices. Wisdom choices has a variety of options that do not violate God's word. We are still doing God's word, but in a variety of ways. We'll discuss this next week when we talk about worship. When we talk about worship, we often distinguish between the elements of worship, the the things that we must do, and then we talk about the circumstances of worship. Those things that could be done in a variety of different ways, one way or another. We must praise God in song. It's one of his worship. It's one of his commands. We must read God's word. We must pray. We must preach. These are the elements of worship that are commanded by God. But listen, how many songs? Which ones? We must read. How much do we read? I have a pastor friend who reads each time they gather, they read an entire chapter of God's word. Are we in sin for not reading an entire chapter of God's word? It's a wisdom preference. It's a wisdom call. We must preach God's word. There are those who believe if you preach anything more than a 30-minute sermon, you're killing your church. Well, our sermons usually go an hour. (laughs) Gather for worship. What time? It's a wisdom call. We could meet at 10 o'clock, and then we could meet at 2 o'clock. You mean the, the, 
the first disciples did not meet at 10 and then 5? No. It's just something that's been done in this culture and, and in this country for years that it's what we do. But it's a wisdom call. We are gathering on the Lord's Day. There are elements of worship that we must do. And then there, were, there are wisdom options that we are open to do. Again, we believe that we must gather on the Lord's Day. What time? Where? For how long? They're all wisdom decisions. We could meet at a different time if you guys wanted to. It would be like, I cannot believe we are changing this church in that way. But it's a wisdom call. It's not a biblical call. We are still meeting. But at what time? And sometimes we can get confused with the wisdom calls. We can confuse wisdom calls with law, what God has commanded us to do. And we must not confuse the two. There are many things that are not a matter of church authority or the keys of the kingdom either. There are matters of wisdom that can be done in any way. So when the elders or deacons make a decision without asking you, without asking for your consent, they are, they are matters that, that do not infringe upon your liberty or your authority as members. They're not stealing your keys. They are matters of church wisdom, not authority. For example, we recently painted our nursery. It's a wisdom call. It looks a lot better now. Were you asked? No. Does it matter? No. And we should never make, especially when it comes to things that are just uh, ambiance or things that are just decor, we should never make a big stink about it. And in many churches, there is. There should never be, though. Sometimes people want a scripture for everything, and sometimes there is not one. It's just a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of, yeah, it's a good idea. No big deal. It's also important because we will sometimes encounter things that cut against what we are used to, like songs. Many of us grew up without hymns. So when we come to this church and we're, we're singing hymns, it is so contrary countercultural to what we grew up with. Some of you guys I know, like my wife, you grew up with soul in your worship so far, uh, in your song, right? Uh, you grew up with a lot of different things that, that just don't sound like what we sing. They're just a matter of style. I think it's further than that. But we must not let ourselves get so caught up in things that are wisdom choices and are not what God has strictly commanded in his word. We'll, we'll talk more about that worship aspect next week because I believe it goes deeper than just a wisdom call. We thank God for the liberty that we have from men and from the commands of men. Uh, you can eat meat on Fridays. Uh, for those of you who grew up Catholic, you've been free to enjoy all of the means of grace that are provided for you, for your joy and for your growth. You're free from the condemnation of the law, brothers and sisters. You're free from the religious laws of men. We are not free from what Christ has commanded us to do, though. We are free to obey what Christ has commanded, not to disobey what Christ has commanded. We have joined together and agreed together by common confession and constitution that this is what we believe and this is how we will live. We must work together to accomplish all that Christ has commanded for his church and for his people. Thank God for the liberty that he has given us in Christ. Thank God that we've been joined together by Christ as I said to some of the brothers this morning, we are sitting here with people that we otherwise would not be sitting here with. We have been joined together with people that we otherwise would not be joined together with. Some of us, when we first came, we did not like this church. 
we came in, we were forced to be here. And then sooner or later, we felt, we realized, I do understand these things, and I do believe this is a biblical church, and I'm starting to learn that what I've been taught all my life is actually not right. And now you're sitting here with people that you normally would not be sitting here with. It's the result of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've done so voluntarily. You've done so freely. And hopefully, Lord willing, God will continue to build His church. And we will continue to grow into a healthy church that is of one faith, one confession, one Lord, one Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word and we do pray that as it has gone forth, uh, that it was clear. And Lord, I, I ask that you forgive me